Well, good morning, everyone. My name is Josh Koskinen, and I'm the Family Ministries Pastor here at First Christian. And good morning also to those in the East Auditorium. Uh, so today is a holiday weekend, and so tomorrow we'll have Memorial Day, but that also means that it's National Youth Pastor Preaches on Sunday weekend uh, because of that. So good luck to all the other youth pastors out there preaching and getting ready for your next opportunity, Labor Day weekend, okay? So today we begin our series called Timeless, which will focus on life lessons thus far from Wayne Kent, and it will also focus on time, uh, timeless truths in scripture. And so we're really looking forward to that. And part of the reason for this series is Wayne Kent is approaching a milestone in his life this June, and that is 60 years old. Now, some would call that a milestone and others would call that over the hill. Uh, but no, not you guys who are 60 or older here, you're a young 60. But Wayne, you know. So I am also approaching a milestone in my life and that is this June I turned 30, which sounds more exciting, I think. <laughs> and uh, really, really looking forward to giving you some timeless truths from uh, lessons thus far from me uh, and uh, kind of looking at what it means to be a follower of Jesus in our culture and uh, looking at a, a story from the Old Testament. So really looking forward to it. Before we do that, I have four things that I would like to share with you, just things I've learned in 30 years of life. And that is the first one, my wife always looks great and she's always right. Amen, guys, right? Okay, so I've learned that. Second, Marvel is superior to DC. Some of you are like, yes. Some of you are saying, I have no idea what he's talking about. And for you, Wayne's preaching for you in June, just so you know. Uh, number three is uh, that when I have four boys. And so when a house with four boys is quiet, mischief is happening, definitely. And number four, for those of you more recently on Facebook, I will say Laurel is my fourth nugget of wisdom. So I would love to unpack all those for you as the topic, topic of my sermon, but we're not gonna do that. And in order to get started in today's sermon, I want to share a story with you, a story that changed the world and changed our lives. And it started with a campus tour. Maybe some of you who are uh, high school graduates, recent high school graduates, remember the campus tour that you were on, but it started with a person named Larry who was taking a campus tour at Stanford Graduate School. And as he was touring this campus, uh, he had uh, other students that were helping him, like show him around the campus. And one of those students was a guy named Sergey. And Sergey was showing him around campus and things were going really well. And as they started to talk and, you know, kind of get to know each other a little bit more, they realized that they were total opposites. I mean, they were debating the whole time during the campus tour and there was a lot of different things going on. And Larry couldn't wait for that part of the tour to be over. And as that was taking place, uh, Larry was, uh, he decided that this is gonna be a good fit for him in the school, and so he attended. And during the graduate school, uh, he was paired up with Sergey for an assignment in business school, and they were chatting about their future dreams and future hopes, and they decided that they would go into business together. Uh, they developed a friendship. And this business 
They wanted to build a search engine on the World Wide Web that would determine the importance of individual pages. The search engine was called Backrub. Kind of a weird name for a business, I would say, but that's okay. So soon after they launched their business, Backrub, it was renamed to, guess what? Google. Can you imagine what it would have been like if they stuck with Backrub? Like, hey, would you Backrub that for me? I wanna know more information about that. I think we're glad that they changed it. But the name Google was a play on the mathematical expression for the number one followed by 100 zeros, which reflected Larry and Sergey's mission to organize the world's information and make it universally accessible and useful to everyone. And that decision to create this business changed our lives in some capacity. I was sitting in Hebrew class when I was a sophomore in college, and we were studying the biblical language of Hebrew, which was the Old Testament. And on our first day, I remember my professor walked in with a huge stack of books, and he set these books on the table, and as he set them down, he walks out of class and he grabs another stack of books, and he sets those down on the table, and we're all wondering what's going on, and he says, When I was a student learning Hebrew, these are all the books that I needed in order to um, do a word study and research paper on the first verse in the Bible, Genesis 1.1. And he said, today, all you need is the internet. And I thought to myself, this is gonna be a very easy class because I have the internet. Uh, and it turns out you do, there is a little bit more to it than that to pass biblical Hebrew in school. But what he was doing was he was over-exaggerating a point. And what he was saying is you need to know the tools that are at your disposal in order to complete the task that is in front of you and to gain that information and in that knowledge. And the internet and Google, there's some great tools out there for studying God's word in its original language. And so we were like, okay, that's great. I am considered to be a part of the millennial generation, which was born between 1981 to 1998. And when I was young, I didn't have, right when I, you know, from the time I was a toddler, I didn't have the internet or I didn't have a smartphone. In fact, the internet was introduced in my home when I was about nine years old. And the first iPhone came out when I was going into my sophomore year of college. But the generation that I primarily have worked with here in high school students is referred to now as Generation Z, which the first generation of, the first age of Generation Z is going to college this fall. uh, And they are a part of that. And so that is also the first generation that had the, the iPhone and smart devices and as a part of the digital age from the time that they were toddlers. And so they've grown up with this. And this changes the way we live and it changes the way that we access information. For those of you who are in older generations in the room, when you were in college or when you had to study for the profession that you're in, I would say there in some ways was a greater discipline to access the information that you needed. Uh, You know, you had a whole different process than people have today in order to learn. So maybe for you, there was a pursuit of knowledge, whereas today there is a pursuit of information, I would say. 
And so we live in a time with incredible access to information. And that doesn't mean that we live in a time that's more knowledgeable or more wise because of what we have, but we have an abundant access to information in a very easy, non-difficult way. In under 60 seconds, we can order a meal and then drive through and we can pick up that meal that we just ordered. We live in a very fast-paced environment. We have a ton of extracurricular activities at our disposal in church and in the community. And these are all great things, but boiling it down, we can become extremely self-sufficient and information-driven as a culture. So today we are going to look at the life of Solomon, who had access not just to information and knowledge, but Solomon had access to God-given wisdom. And so if you could turn in your Bibles to 1 Kings 3, beginning in verse 7. And for those of you in the East Auditorium, there'll be people coming around with Bibles if you don't have one. And in the West Auditorium, there's some right in the P-Rack in front of you. And for both, if you don't have a Bible at home, we would love for you to take that one as our gift to you. So a little bit of background on Solomon. Solomon was the third king of Israel. Saul was the first king, and then David, his father, was the second king. And David was a great king. Solomon had big shoes to fill. And David, although he had made some mistakes, David was known in scripture to be a man after God's own heart. David was a legend. He killed Goliath, he defeated armies, and he was a great king. In fact, this past fall, I was able to go to Israel with First Christian Church. It was a group of us that went, and we toured the valley where David and Goliath, that battle took place. And as I was walking around, I was picking up stones, just trying to imagine what David was thinking as he's approaching this battle with great faith, with just a sling and some stones. And this was amazing, and David became a legend because of it and was a great king, a man after God's own heart. So fast forward to Solomon. Solomon has huge shoes to fill, and he knew it. And so one night, Solomon went to bed, and he was dreaming, and God came to him in the dream and asked Solomon what he would need as king. And this is Solomon's response in 1 Kings 3, beginning in verse seven. Now, Lord, my God, you have made your servant king in a place of my father, David. But I am only a little child and do not know how to carry out my duties. Your servant is here among the people you have chosen, a great people, too numerous to count or number. So give your servant a discerning heart to govern your people and to distinguish between right and wrong for who is able to govern this great people of yours. So Solomon asks for wisdom from God and God was pleased with this because Solomon could have asked for so many different things, but Solomon asks God for wisdom. And so God says, I will give you wisdom and I will give you so much more than that. And sometimes knowing the rest of Solomon's story, which we're gonna get into in a minute, I wonder if there was selfish motivation behind Solomon's request. He knew he had big shoes to fill and so he couldn't just ask for riches or success. He needed the means to that, wisdom. But Solomon's leadership started out really well and to learn what he did with that wisdom, I'd like to look at some of the rest of his story with you. And in order to do that, we need to look at what God laid out for people of Israel and for kings 
beginning in Deuteronomy. God put some rules in place for this. And in Deuteronomy 7, beginning in verse one, it says this. When the Lord your, Lord your God brings you into the land you are entering to possess and drives out before you many nations, seven nations larger and stronger than you, and when the Lord your God has delivered them over to you and you have defeated them, then you must totally destroy them. Make no treaty with them and show them no mercy. Do not intermarry with them. Do not give your daughters to their sons or take their daughters for your sons for they will turn your children away from following me to serve other gods. And the Lord's anger will burn against you and will quickly destroy you. And so for the people of Israel, we learn right away that God has specific Um, things that he is asking them to do as they go into other nations and other territories. And that is do not intermarry with the other nations. And that is because all of the other nations around Israel were worshiping other gods. And so God doesn't want to bring those people into Israel because they have their form of worship and their gods that they would bring in also as a result. But then God lays out rules specifically for kings in Deuteronomy 17, verse 16. And he says, even so, he, a king, must not acquire many horses for himself or return the people to Egypt in order to acquire more horses. Since the Lord has said to you, you must never return that way again. And he must not acquire many wives for himself or else his heart will turn away. Also silver and gold, he must not acquire in great quantity for himself. And so to recap, an Israelite king should not acquire many horses for himself, acquire many wives for himself, or acquire an abundance of silver or gold for himself. And Solomon has asked God for wisdom and Solomon knows the scriptures. And so he knows these rules that have been laid out. But yet what we learn in the life of Solomon is that Solomon has a lot of horses, a lot of wives, and a lot of money. And in 1 Kings 4.26, it says that Solomon has 40,000 stalls for his horses. And it also says that he has 700 wives and 300 concubines. And Solomon's net worth, according to our dollars today, would be $2.2 trillion. I Googled that, just so you know. So Solomon has all of the information he needs from God. He has godly wisdom, yet he chooses to go a different direction. And how often is it that we do this in our lives? That we have all the information, we have access to wisdom from scripture, yet we choose to go in a different direction. Sometimes we choose to be the God of our own lives. I mean, here's the reality. Solomon didn't just wake up one morning, walk outside and strum around his uh, property and then see, how did I get 40,000 horses? Like, what happened? Where did these stalls come from? Or Solomon didn't just wake up one morning, walk downstairs for breakfast in his big banquet hall, and see 700 wives and 300 concubines and say, man, that must have been a crazy night. You know, like, this is not how it happened. Things like this start small. One horse one wife, one bar of gold at a time. But the further that he stepped away from the commands of God 
in the pursuit of his comfort, of his abundance, of his contentment, the more self-sufficient he became. So what is a man like that with all that he has in his life, with the gold, with the wives, with the horses, with the possessions, what does a man like that need from God? He becomes self-sufficient. He no longer needs to rely on God in his mind. And I think often with the culture that we live in and with our access to information and our access to wealth and with all the things that we have going on in our schedule, sometimes we live that life of getting through the day, getting through the weeks without relying on God and doing it on our own. Scripture unpacks what Solomon built for his wives and how he interacted with his wives in 1 Kings 11. And it says this, King Solomon, however, loved many foreign women besides Pharaoh's daughters. They were from nations about which the Lord had told the Israelites, you must not intermarry with them because they will surely turn your hearts after their gods. Nevertheless, Solomon held fast to them in love. He had 700 wives of royal birth and 300 concubines, and his wives led him astray. And as Solomon grew old, his wives turned his heart after other gods. And his heart was not fully devoted to the Lord his God as the heart of his father David had been. So Solomon did evil in the eyes of the Lord. He did not follow the Lord completely as David his father had done. And then it goes on to say this. On a hill east of Jerusalem, Solomon built a high place for the detestable God of Moab and for the detestable God of the Ammonites. He did the same for all his foreign wives who burned incense and offered sacrifices to their gods. And the Lord became angry with Solomon because he had turned away from the Lord, the God of Israel, who had appeared to him twice. Here's the danger for us in this. We are just like Solomon. We don't have 1,000 spouses, which seriously sounds impossible to manage in that. But our heart does have the pull towards compromise. And here's what I mean by that. It's often easy in our lives to make concessions. We talk ourselves into things all of the time. And it starts small, but it gradually can become much bigger. You know, I could do this with, uh, with weight loss or we're coming into the summer months. You know, I'm getting ready for, I want that summer pool bod. You know what I'm saying? And I can do this. I, I can make a deal with myself that I'm gonna not have carbs or sugar, which sounds like a bad deal to begin with, but I could say that to myself. And then I go to graduation parties, a lot of them. And I think, okay, well, I see a maple bacon cupcake and I think it looks delicious, and I'm like, I'm gonna have that. I'm gonna have one of those. And I do that, and then one thing leads to another, and suddenly, I'm the first guest at the party, and all the cupcakes are gone, right? (laughs) Other times, compromise can feel like obedience. We talk ourselves into thinking that we are making the right choice. Well, it's good for me to spend more time at work than I need to, because I'm providing for my family. It's okay for me to overwork and to put more of my time into that basket rather than the family functions or the ball games that are taking place because I'm providing. It's compromise that feels like 
obedience. And then we have the life of Solomon. And Solomon is going into other territories and conquering other nations. Maybe he's even aligning himself with other nations. And with that comes foreign women and wives. And so Solomon's like, it's good for us, me, the king of Israel, to be aligned with this other country. Maybe we want that territory or there's a commodity that they have that we need. So he talks himself into it. It's compromise that feels like obedience. Or in scripture, you know, what we just read, he builds temples for all of his foreign wives outside of the city. And so he says, I will not build a temple for another God inside the city of Jerusalem, but I'm going to build it outside of the city. It's compromise that feels like obedience. And scripture says that Solomon's heart had turned away from God. And I've got to wonder if he thought, it's good for me to spend time with my wife. And so I'm gonna travel out to the temple with her. And maybe I'm gonna go in, but I'm not gonna worship. I'm just gonna spend time with her as she worships. It's compromise that feels like obedience. Or finally for us, it's summer. And with that comes late summer nights and fun with our families and doing a lot of different activities on vacations and things like that. But sometimes in the summer, we can go weeks on end without going to church or without being connected to a faith community. But we think it's good for us to spend time with our family. It's summer, it's fun. It's compromise that feels like obedience. And Solomon did this and we all do too. But for us, ultimately it can lead to destruction and it did for Solomon as well. In Nehemiah 13, 26, it says, was it not because of marriages like these that Solomon, king of Israel, sinned? Among the many nations, there was no king like him. He was loved by his God and God made him king over Israel, but even he was led into sin by foreign women. So Solomon has unlimited horses, unlimited wives, unlimited wealth. Solomon was comfortable. Solomon was self-sufficient. And in many ways, we can be too. Without a posture of our hearts continually relying on God and recognizing that we need him in our lives, that we need God in order to survive, we can become self-sufficient. And this is the culture that we live in with our fast-paced environments and all the access that we have to information, it is very easy for us to make compromises, to become self-sufficient and to lose our way. But this wasn't the end of the story for Solomon. Solomon wrote the book of Proverbs, a very wise book. Solomon wrote the Song of Solomon, which is about love, great insight on that. And then Solomon also wrote the book of Ecclesiastes. And he did that at the end of his life. So at the end of Solomon's life, with all of the horses and with all the wives, with all the wealth, with all of his possessions, with what he had done as king, this is what he says in Ecclesiastes chapter one. Meaningless, meaningless, utterly meaningless. Everything is meaningless. What do people gain from all their labors at which they toil under the sun? Generations come and generations go, but the earth remains forever. Generation Y, boomer, millennial, Z comes and go, 
but the earth remains forever. And then later, then I applied myself to the understanding of wisdom and also of madness and folly. But I learned that this too is a chasing after the wind. For with wisdom comes much sorrow, the more knowledge, the more grief. And this is pretty depressing stuff, right? At the end of Solomon's life, this is what he has to say. But we are in this series called Timeless, and this is the timeless truth of our lives and of Solomon's life. And that is this, when our reliance on God fails, we become self-sufficient, we compromise, and everything is meaningless. Here's what I don't wanna do. I don't wanna get to the end of my life, 60 years old. Just kidding, Wayne. But I don't wanna get to the end of my life and realize that although I had wealth, although I had family, although I had possessions, that all of it was meaningless because I did it without relying on God. I don't wanna get there because I am in danger of being self-sufficient. That's the culture that I live in. But I wanna rely on God in the big and the small moments of life. And so after Solomon unpacks that everything is meaningless, he gets to the conclusion of the book in Ecclesiastes 12, verse 13. And he says this, the conclusion when all has been heard is fear God and keep his commandments. Because this applies to every person. For God will bring every act to judgment, everything which is hidden, whether it is good or evil. So for people living in 2018, let us apply that truth that Solomon says at the end of his life. For the conclusion is this, fear God and keep his commandments. And so there's two ways, two practical ways that I want to um, give you the opportunity to do today. And that is this, number one, read the Bible, which I know this is a revolutionary thought. You came to church and a pastor told you to read the Bible in a sermon. But Lifeway did a study on 2,000 young adults who had stuck with their faith through high school and through college, and they wanted to figure out what did these young adults, what were some factors that they had in their life that made them stick with their faith in the way that they did? Because statistically, 50% of high school students who graduate high school also graduate from their faith and leave their faith. And so Lifeway wanted to see, okay, these 2,000 young adults, they stuck with it and they interviewed their parents and they interviewed these young adults. And what they realized is that the number one factor of students sticking with their faith post high school and through adulthood is regular biblical engagement. In fact, the top three influencers for young adults were, as a child, children who regularly read their Bible growing up children who regularly spent time in prayer and children who regularly served in the local church. And so how can we fear God and keep his commands? We need to know them. We need to open up the Bible and see the heart of God for us in scripture and what God wants and desires for our lives. Because if we do this, we will have a posture of relying on God and we will be able to know his heart for our lives and what he wants from us and how we can worship him. We need to read our Bibles. And the second thing is this, have a posture of 
relying on God. That looking at the life of Solomon and in our self-sufficient culture, it's easy for us to not rely on God as Solomon did. He took wisdom from God and he just used it as information. Like, okay, maybe I'll do that. But for us, how do we rely on God on a daily basis? How do we have a posture of our lives that do these things? And as I was thinking about this last night and after I got done preaching, I thought about some of the songs that we sing and worship. And I thought, man, that is a posture of relying on God because what we're doing in worship is we are declaring who God is and what his heart is for us. And we need to do this on a daily basis. We can do this through prayer. We can do this through opening up his word and reading it. But we need to remember always to rely on God because if we don't, we will forget what he has done for us and we will try to do it on our own. And so for us, people of First Christian Church, let us not be self-sufficient. Let us not compromise but let us fear God and keep his commands by opening up his word and by relying on him daily. Would you pray with me? God, we thank you so much for who you are. And God, you are so amazing. And yet often we try to make it through the day and sometimes weeks and months on our own. And so help us to remember the commands that you have for us, but also to rely on you daily. God, you are good and we need you. And at this time, we pray and we posture our hearts and our lives towards you, saying that, God, we want to rely on you. And it's in your name we pray, amen.